0: Jim Stanford joins us on this Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to you.
1: Thank you very much,
0: John. Do you actually still march in a parade for this?
1: Uh, well, I live in Vancouver. And we don't have a Labor Day parade. We have a Labor Day picnic. Oh, uh, which is, okay. uh, you know, in the same spirit of things. So, yes, I'll be there having a hot, having a hot dog and uh, listening to the speeches and the music and so on.
0: There, there are two aspects of this that I want to talk with you about. One is just sort of the state of labor and the jobs market mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And yeah. then there's organized labor. And I want to start with yeah. organized labor. You had a long history with uh, the CAW, which became Unifor. Um, there was a time where everybody who didn't like unions was trumpeting the fact that unions were in decline. But there is every appearance that unions are making a comeback.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true, John, including in the realm of public opinion. Uh, in the United States, uh, the Gallup poll does an annual question uh, where they ask people, you know, who do you have faith in? Big big business, big government, or unions? And uh, the, the public approval for unions right now is higher than it's been since the end of the Second World War. And we don't do have similar polling data on that precise question in Canada, but we do have indications that uh, people understand and sympathize with the challenges of working people, you know, trying to earn enough money to pay their bills, especially in times of inflation, like we've experienced. And so I think that the general sort of social legitimacy of unions uh, has been enhanced over the last uh, two or three, four years. I think the pandemic was part of that. And then the ambition of workers on to use unions and use collective bargaining as a way of bettering their condition has also taken a step up and we see that every day with the collective bargaining and the work stoppages and the demands that are coming from different unions in every part of the country.
0: Is part of the reason that unions were in decline and are now rebuilding because employers inevitably overplay their hand? They think that it's a one-way street, the unions are going to be beaten down and so they overplay their hand and all of a sudden you end up with employees who go, screw this.
1: I, I suppose maybe there's a bit of a pendulum effect that that happens. Um I will point out that uh, from the beginning, unions, initially in the history of capitalism, unions were completely illegal, right? It was considered a restriction on free trade for unions to come together and say workers should get together to bargain a better wage with the the guy who ran owned and ran the sweatshop uh, in you know in the industrial revolution days. And eventually unions, after lots of fights and and legal fights and political fights and sometimes actual physical violence against them, unions won the right to exist in the early 19th century in different places, including Canada. And within years, uh, employers were saying, you know what, unions might have been necessary then, but nowadays they're not necessary. Because, you know, we're more enlightened now and we recognize the... Sort of life cycle needs of our workforce and we're all one family and we'll take care of you. And it's always a lie because, of course, as soon as the countervailing power that workers get through collective bargaining weakens or disappears in some cases, then employers have a free hand again. And this is when you get wages driven down to the minimum or sometimes lower. The use of different strategies like uh, insecure work or gig jobs or other type of arrangements to drive wage costs down even further and uh, the inability of workers to have a say, to improve their lives. Um, so I, I think it's true when employers faced a less um, confident and powerful union movement, they did what employers do, and that is maximize their profits. Um, and the, the downside of that for, for workers has been a deterioration in many cases in their compensation and the quality uh, of work. And I think that unions, even in high tech industries, you know, with all the changes we're seeing, unions are still an absolutely essential and legitimate institution in a well functioning labor market. And I'm glad to see that they're uh, kind of holding more sway these days.
0: He's not here, which I will concede, but our old friend Jerry Agar often argues that it's unfair and a violation of personal liberty to compel somebody who comes into a workplace to join a union. I'm wondering what your way of framing that issue is.
1: Yeah, that's an old, old red herring that somehow having a unionized workplace is a violation on your freedom. First of all, nobody forces you to work there. Secondly, there's still a democratic process that uh, the co- workers collectively in a workplace get to decide. So it is possible, and it happens from time to time. It happens rarely, but it is possible for workers to get together in a workplace and say, "I don't. We don't collectively want the union anymore," and therefore the union is decertified. So that democratic option is still there. What he's objecting to is the fact that workers get to make a collective choice over how to best pursue their interests in the workplace, and you have to do that by either. Uh, getting a clear majority of the workers to join the union and express their support for it, or in some provinces by having a secret ballot vote to elect the union as your representative. There is no difference uh, philosophically between that and all kinds of other ways that we make collective decisions and enforce them in different areas of our economy. Here's an example, a condo building that has a sort of strata type setup. Okay, Everyone who lives there has to pay the strata fee. Kind of, Does Jerry Agar go there and say yeah, it's a violation of my personal freedom? I'm not going to pay the strata fee. I'm going to benefit from the roof over the building and the utilities and the repairs and the fountain out front, but I'm not going to pay for it because it's a violation of my rights. He'd be thrown out of the building in a month. Uh, same goes for the collective responsibilities that you take on in other areas of life whether it's being a shareholder in a corporation you can't say i don't think that ceo deserves that much money i'm going to hold back my share of the money that we're paying that lazy guy in the corner suite Uh, or even getting on a bus okay you're not allowed to say it's a violation of my personal freedom so this argument about personal freedom is used very arbitrarily and um, very asymmetrically against unions because it's just a form of collective decision-making that helps workers. We've got all other kinds of forms of collective decision-making in our economy, and it's a good thing. We wouldn't function very well without corporations and strata organizations and other, uh, other ways to uh, make collective decisions for the collective good.
0: Jim Stanford is here and we're talking on the occasion of Labor Day about jobs and organized labor. Okay, so let's hop from organized labor and just talk about the jobs market because it's not Union Day, it's Labor Day. Um, Is this an employee's market right now?
1: Well, it certainly is more of an employee's market than it was in the past. And I think this ties into our previous discussions about the upsurge in union activity. One of the reasons why unions have become more uh, confident uh, over the last couple of years has indeed been that the labor market is tighter. Now, I wouldn't say that means the workers are in charge. It's still up to the employers to decide to run a business, to invest, to to hire people, to decide what sort of technology is gonna be used. And the employers still have an awful lot of freedom to find ways around unions find ways to reduce labor costs Um, we also have a situation where the the unemployment rate is low by historical standards but it's not zero 5.5 percent unemployment it's been rising in canada over the last year uh, gradually with the higher interest rates and it it sort of hides some of the other pools of unused labor that are out there part-time work uh, insecure work where people don't get regular hours uh, and, and others. So it's it's not like, you know, the workers have a lock on this thing. But it's certainly better than a situation with, say, eight or 9% unemployment where people are desperate to hang on to any job. It's a time when workers can afford to be a little bit choosy about what jobs they take, and a time when they can be a bit more demanding about what they expect in, in return for that. Um, John, I also think there's been a bit of shift in people's consciousness since the pandemic. You know, we had a situation where people were literally risking their lives to go and do menial minimum wage jobs as a grocery store clerk or a worker in a restaurant or a cleaner or a delivery driver. And, uh, you know, I do think there was a shock. First of all, people recognized that those jobs were essential. We shouldn't take them for granted. You know, we gave the grocery workers hero pay, a $2 an hour raise for a while until the, the owners took it back. Um, all at once. But uh, there was, I think, a shift in, in kind of expectations and an idea that you should be treated fairly no matter how humble your job seems. And I think that has contributed to a bit of this um, labor uh, confidence and ambition that we're seeing around us.
0: And, of course, we've been living in an inflationary environment, so a lot of people, when their contracts come up, are asking for more money than employers are, are willing to pay. Um, how do you see that differential moving over the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the wages and inflation nexus is going to be the hot, the hot issue at every collective bargaining table, no doubt about it. Uh, and we've seen a lot of work stoppages over it. Um, Now, we do have to look a bit at the history of this inflationary episode. You know, inflation was typically around 2% before the pandemic, and wages were typically growing maybe at 3%. Usually, you want wages to grow a little bit faster than prices so that you get an increase in your purchasing power, your real wage, over time, and that is consistent with ongoing labor productivity growth and the whole idea of economic development. So that's, that's where we were at. Then with the pandemic, when inflation took off, it it, it rose very quickly, peaked at 8% about a year ago. It's come down since then. Now, workers take time to try and catch up to that. So the first basically two years of the inflation were really, really undercutting the purchasing power of uh, workers. And ironically, that's somewhat worse for workers with a union. Because their wages are typically set for a three-year period over the length of a collective agreement. So if you were in a collective agreement when the inflation started, you have to wait till the collective agreement is over to have a chance to negotiate wages that reflect that inflation. So then you get a process of catch up where the workers are saying, I'm not just looking ahead at what inflation is gonna be next year. You know, inflation has come down a lot, it's gonna be between three and four percent next year. But on top of that, I'm looking at the basically three, four, five, six percent of my living standards that I lost during the initial upsurge in inflation, and I want that back. So this is where it becomes uh, very tough. Then, of course, you've got the Bank of Canada, which is not just sitting on the sidelines here. The Bank of Canada is actively taking the employers' side in this, uh, encouraging them to restrict wage increases and and saying we're going to do what we can to to ring uh, wage increases out of the system. So. In a way, I think the, in a, the, some of the worst of this wage profit price debate that we've been having, some of the worst of it is going to be ahead in the next year because the, the inflation rate has come down. We, nor, we are now at a situation where wages are growing faster than prices, and that's going to have to be cont- continued for a couple of years to repair the damage that was done. But neither employers nor the Bank of Canada want that to happen.
0: Jim, thank you so much. Happy Labor Day.
1: Happy Labor Day to you too, brother John.